It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. A sunken vessel has caused a diesel fuel spill in Sitka Sound. The Coast Guard received a report on Friday that there was a sheen on the water between Cobb Island and Silver Point, south of Sitka. An air station Sitka crew flew over the site and found the fishing vessel Haida Lady submerged, surrounded by a large sheen of diesel. According to a situation report from the Department of Environmental Conservation, the vessel owner reported 1,500 gallons of diesel fuel and 55 gallons of hydraulic oil on board at the time of sinking. The Coast Guard hired Sitka-based Hanson Maritime to help with cleanup efforts. The company has surrounded the site with containment boom, a floating barrier that holds in fuel and oil. They're also using sorbent boom to soak up excess oil. Coast Guard Representative Brian Warida says there were some delays in cleanup efforts because of weather, but things are now moving forward. The incident is contained, and now Hanson Maritime is stabilizing the vessel and trying to orientate it with divers and lift bags into an upright position where we can remove the fuel and oil from it. Approximately 825 gallons of diesel fuel have been removed from the vessel, according to the Coast Guard. Warida says it's unknown how much fuel was spilled, but that Hanson Maritime has been working since Saturday to clean up and contain the area. The Coast Guard and state and local stakeholders will continue responding until all the threats to the environment have been removed or mitigated. No one was on board the Haida Lady at the time of sinking, according to a Coast Guard press release. The DEC situation report identified possible risk to wildlife, including marine birds, stellar sea lions, and whales. After extensive discussions on school funding, the Sitka Assembly has voted to fund the Sitka School District to the cap next fiscal year, increasing the city's contribution to schools by just under $400,000. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. When the Sitka Assembly met last Thursday, it voted to fund the Sitka School District to the cap, or the maximum allowed by state law. Sitka schools will receive nearly $8 million in city funding next fiscal year. That includes around $150,000 for building maintenance and up to $57,000 to cover utilities at the Performing Arts Center. Assemblymember Rebecca Hemshute is a teacher in the school district. She said funding to the cap was necessary almost now more than ever. When we get our kids back, I hope full-time next year, the work that we, and I'm speaking as a teacher right now, will need to do is immense for our families and for our students. I have never seen kids work so hard to get an education. So when I see kids working as hard as our kids are to get an education, I say, let me do everything I can to make that happen. Last year, the assembly voted to fund schools to the cap, but the state raised the amount the city could contribute this year, squeezing the city coffers a little tighter. That's why member Kevin Mosher made a motion to fund schools at a lower level, but it failed for a lack of a second. He said he couldn't support funding to the cap. Uh, I don't think this, this is a discussion about the value that the school district brings. That's, you know, unquestionable, huge value. My only concerns are what we can afford. So I'll be a no vote on this just be, you know, for the reasons I've stated, but I just want you to know I, it's not because I don't support the schools. Uh, we just don't have a lot of money going around. At the last school funding meeting, Mayor Steven Eisenbeis expressed uncertainty around school funding. Canada had just announced an extension of its cruise ship ban, a major hit to southeast summer tourism and the city's budget. 
But Eisenbeiss said his approach to the school's budget had shifted. And for the last, what, seven school board budget cycles, I've always come into this with the perspective of why should I fund to the cap? I think in the, in the last couple of weeks, I've, I've changed my mindset. I, I want to start approaching school board budgets with a, with a different mindset. And that's why shouldn't I fund to the cap? And let me tell you, it's really hard to find reasons to fund to the cap, but it's even harder to find reasons why you shouldn't. The motion to fund to the cap passed five to one with member Kevin Mosher opposed. Even with the full funding from the city, the school district will have to cut five jobs to help close its budget gap. But the schools may receive another small windfall from the city. Included in the agreement was a promise to share 250000 of secure rural schools funding with the school district if the program is renewed. That's federal funding that can be used for schools or road maintenance, and the city has traditionally split it with the schools 50-50. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Petersburg Medical Center announced on Monday that it learned of a potential breach of federal health care privacy law with some patients' medical records. But the community hospital says the information was not released outside its walls. KFSK's Angela Denning reports. According to a press release, the hospital found that an employee viewed records of patients who were not directly under their care. This could violate federal health care privacy laws, known as HIPAA, or the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, along with the hospital's code of conduct. The hospital says it began an internal investigation as soon as it learned a potential violation occurred. PMC maintains it is an internal breach only and that the patient's medical information has not gone beyond the medical center. While the information may have been inappropriately viewed, no further disclosure of it occurred. The medical center has contacted by mail the patients whose medical records may have been affected. In the press release, PMC says it, quote, deeply regrets that one of its employees acted in a manner that violates PMC rules, policies, and procedures, as well as violating trust with PMC patients, end quote. The federal law requires healthcare providers and insurers to take steps to limit access to a patient's information and ensure that information is not shared without consent. Patients have the right to access their own health records and learn who else has had access to them. It also requires healthcare providers to train employees about complying with privacy law. All PMC employees receive training on this, the statement said. PMC says it took steps to prevent the offending employee from having any access to medical center records now or in the future. The hospital also says it is taking measures to prevent any reoccurrence within the organization. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. An important part of tackling climate change is understanding how carbon moves through different ecosystems. The burning of fossil fuels is often highlighted for its role in releasing carbon into the atmosphere. But features like landslides, glaciers, and rivers all play a part, too. As KCAW's Erin McKinstry reports, a recent study examined how the carbon-rich waterways of the Tongass fit into the global carbon cycle. When Dave Damore and his colleague Rick Edwards started working at the Forest Service Research Station in Juneau, the streams of the Tongass caught their attention. One of the things I noticed was the dark tea-colored water coming out of the wetlands. And so Rick just one day asked me, well, how much carbon do you think is in that? And I'm like, well, I don't know. It seems like we should probably figure that out. What makes the water brown is something called dissolved carbon. It's basically just tiny bits of organic matter, Edwards says. 
but it's literally hundreds or thousands of different things, different chemicals. There may be sugars, simple carbohydrates. There may be proteins. There may be complex and uh, not very tasty organic acids. Those tiny particles were the focus of a recent study that Edwards and Damore headed up along with five other researchers. The goal was to figure out how much of that organic matter southeast streams and rivers dump into the Gulf of Alaska each year. It's an accounting exercise, uh, much in the same way that you would measure and monitor the flows of money through different sectors of the economy. The researchers traveled from northern British Columbia to the southwestern tip of the Yukon gathering water samples. Then they paired the field data with map data and statistics. What they found wasn't insignificant. The amount of dissolved carbon being moved by the southeast Alaska drainage basin is equivalent to nearly 11 million barrels of oil. This accounting is important for setting carbon budgets and regulating greenhouse gas emissions, Damore says. Most government agencies and and nations are now trying to quantify the total amount of carbon that is either taken into the terrestrial system or released. According to the EPA, the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has increased by more than 40 percent since the start of the Industrial Revolution. Because forests like the Tongass hold on to carbon, they can serve as a buffer for increasing greenhouse gas emissions. But to know how much of a buffer they actually provide, policymakers need to account for how carbon moves through the forest ecosystem, Damore says. If you didn't include this dissolved carbon in the total flux from that pool, you would overestimate the storage potentially uh, in, in the terrestrial system. The paper also looked at an understudied region and provided an opportunity to collaborate across national boundaries. Two of the study's authors were Canadian. Cross-boundary research has increased over the last decade, says geographer and another of the study's authors, Francis Biles. Before about 2010, most of our studies pretty much ended at the Canadian border, just as if the watersheds just suddenly ended there and had no influence on what was happening in the southeast coastal waters. She credited efforts from the Alaska Coastal Rainforest Center in Juneau and the Southeast Alaska GIS Library with helping foster those relationships and opening up the doors to research across the ecosystem. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is 